Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. Here it is. Yes, sir. We are going. It is moving along. Any other kind of movement metaphor I can think of, this is going to be a good one. I'm excited. I tell you what, the guest and I today, we have tried to schedule this conversation for so long, and we, it's finally here. It's kind of like you've been waiting for Christmas. Now, I get it. That was last month, but I feel like we got like a second Christmas because this guest is here. Who is she, though? Who is she? Let me tell you about her. A marketing leader, a brand executive, a big picture thinker, entrepreneur, um, very experienced working with direct-to-consumer brands. I know a lot of times we talk B2B, so I'm excited to talk about the consumer world because we can all learn a lot from each other. And it's all about growing that revenue at the end of the day. And then another thing I like about this guest, she is the kind of marketer that has heart, the kind that cares about the customers, wants them to succeed. And in you know, surprise, surprise, that works. And that's why she's been so successful as well as many other reasons. Over a decade of experience, currently a fractional CMO to growth-minded companies all around the world, founder and CEO at Marketing by Jess, Jessica Shira. Welcome to the show. Wow, what an intro. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. We finally made it happen. (laughs) So so tell me, um, you know, you're working out there with companies, you're acting as a fractional CMO, which is really interesting and we want to get to that but first i need to start by passing you something it's kind of heavy for me at least but i know you work out so here you go okay you grab that you got it okay all right take thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth bogus strategy misconception set the record straight once and for all yeah right away um the myth i want to smash today is I see a lot of businesses who think that one full-time marketer, um, usually I see it being a marketing manager role, uh, is all they need to succeed. And in fact, that way of thinking, uh, they end up leaving a lot of growth potential and revenue on the table. They all, that's all they need, just one, that one full-time marketer. But then what happens, right? There's a challenge when you just, you try to put one person in a, in a multi- I see often what happens is they either will have um, somebody kind of mid-level who has a little bit of experience doing strategy um, as well as execution. And so they're trying to juggle everything. They're trying to keep a million balls in the air. Um, And inevitably what ends up going to the wayside is the strategy because they're busy in the doing. Um, The other thing that can happen too is depending on their, the company's budget, um, they may or may not have somebody with the experience to really look at their business. Um, from that higher level perspective and, and dig into what their business goals are and create a strategy that will get them there. Um, what I see often with a marketing manager role is that person tends to lean on the channels or tactics that they feel comfortable in and that, and that they know inside and out. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing for the business. Um, And then the other thing is sometimes I see companies bring in somebody on the more junior side and then they're really just in the execution phase and the direction ends up coming from the CEO or one of the other leaders um, who, you know, their time is stretched thin. They can't be focusing on the things that they should be focusing on. And then, um, you know, everyone's feeling stretched. 
Yeah. And in that second situation where you have that junior marketer and they may be the best junior marketer in the planet, but to your point, maybe they get the strategy from some of the leaders in the company, but if they're busy and that leader doesn't really own marketing or they, they own a bunch of other things or it's a CEO and they've got you know, a bunch of things they're juggling, they may not actually pass a marketing strategy over. So that poor entry-level marketer is sitting there going like, I want to learn, I want to learn strategy, I want to do these things, but there's this void, right? I mean, they just need to execute, do more of what you did. Um, and we all know from our marketing experience that that's a tough place to be because normally you get beat up. You're, you're the reason we spent a lot of money and you're the reason we're not growing and all the negative things if you don't have that, that senior level experience. So yeah, this seems like a, a, like a not win situation. Like I was in a lose, lose situation. You're either that senior level person who's not doing the tactics or you're the mid-level person who's trying to juggle everything or you're the junior person who doesn't even receive and doesn't know the strategy. Right. So we're a lot of people are in this situation. Why do you think we get in this situation? All right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that companies end up in this situation because um, typically they hit a stage of growth where they feel like, okay, we need to start doing more marketing to hit our next level of, of growth um, and to hit our goals. And I think often they just don't know what makes a successful marketing team or really who to bring in. Um, and so like, I want to talk today about three key elements that uh, make up a successful marketing team. Yeah, that's, I, think that, I, I like that. Sorry, just real quick. The, the fact that it's happening is because they just don't know what it should be. Like they've achieved some level of growth. So they're succeeding in some way. And so they think, well, marketing can help with this. And they're right about that, but they just don't know what makes up the team. And so because of that, they're shooting from the hip. They're hiring all sorts of different wacky people um, that may or may not be the right people or the right mix for the team. And they don't know. So yeah. Tell me what, what does make up the right team? Yeah, before I jump into that, you brought up a good point. I was just going to say, you know, I think another thing that plays into this too is there's um, traditionally, there's just been like a way of hiring marketing. There's a way to build out your team. Um, and I think we've seen a huge shift with um, things being more virtual and digital, especially over the last couple of years with COVID. Um, and so I think the way people are approaching marketing, the, the way they're building their team, all of that's shifting. And it, I think it's just creating massive opportunities for companies to really look at how they're setting themselves up in a different way. That's a good point. That's another like restriction there too, is finding the right, not knowing the right mix, but then also are they, do you even have the right people near you? But now you can find the people anywhere. So what you're going to describe in a little bit around what is the right team. Now you can search anywhere for it. They, you know, a consumer brand group can hire you and you're in the West coast there and these doesn't matter because now we can mix and match. So I love the flexibility that comes from that. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, a whole world of talent pool right at your fingertips, which is yeah. great. Cool. So how, how do we build the, the ultimate marketing team? What do we need? Yeah, so um, there's three key elements that I, I think are important for this team. So one would be an experienced senior leader. Um, number two would be a full-time generalist. And number three is specialists or agency support. So um, I'll kind of deep dive into each of those and, and what that looks like. Yeah. Okay. Real quick. Tell me the three again. So I got experienced senior leader. Experienced senior leader, a yep. full-time generalist, sort of strategist, 
Um, and then a specialist or agency support, which um, that's a little bit multifaceted. So we can talk through that once we okay. get to that. Yeah, let's do it. Let's dive in. So when it comes to an experienced senior leader, um, I always think it's best to bring in the best you can afford. Um, if looking for somebody who has experience growing brands within your industry, um, they understand your target market, potentially the, the competitive landscape. Um, and their role really is to work with the CEO and the leadership team to really understand the business, like not just from a marketing perspective, but really deep dive and understand like, what are their values? What are their products and services? What makes them different? Um, what are their goals short-term and long-term and how can marketing fit into that? Um, I see a lot of leadership roles in marketing where they just kind of come in guns blazing and they're like social media email and they kind of don't take that time to really understand the whole context in which um, where marketing sits in the business and how it can support those broader goals. So I think that part's really important. Um, and then that person can also manage the team, um, set goals and KPIs, um, making sure that, you know, the team's working toward things that are going to move the needles that senior leadership actually cares about. Um, and then checking in with the team as well um, and providing mentorship to, to those, those more junior team members. Um, and that, I think, you know, that, per that person, um, what's interesting and what I've seen a big shift in lately is that person actually doesn't need to be full-time. Um, often when I do see people in that role full-time, they end up, you know, spending a lot of time executing. So they're being overpaid to be doing some executional work or, um, you know, they're just not needed to be full-time. So um, I think the fact that that role can be part-time or fractional really kind of uh, opens up some budget and resources for the company to be using that budget toward other team members or really impactful campaigns. I like that you brought that up because I was literally, when you first mentioned the three key elements, I was thinking dollar signs, you know, and I didn't have the time to do that because I was listening, but you know, the idea of like writing down, okay, how much does that cost? How much does that cost? And I'm sure every, all the companies are thinking this, but you brought up a great point that senior leader, go get the most experienced person you can get. And then you don't need all of their time because probably just a fraction of their time can be spent managing that next thing. We'll talk about that full-time generalist. So get the best person you can at a fraction of them and then they'll keep your one generalist or two or your specialist busy with, with, you know, they'll keep them plenty busy. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Like they're making sure that what's actually happening day to day is the right things and things are going in the right direction. And those mm. KPIs that you really care about are actually being achieved. Um, so then when it comes to that full-time generalist or strategist, um, how, how I like to look at this person is somebody who, I say a generalist because I like somebody mid-level who understands all areas of marketing. They may not have done all of it, but maybe they've got interest in different areas. Um, but I think the important thing is, is that they can put their strategic hat on when they need to. Um, so that that fractional CMO or that experienced leader might say, um, okay, what we want to be doing is uh, launching a welcome series for new, you know, new customers and an email series. And that, that generalist can actually take that and run with that. So they can come up with a plan of, you know, what, it, what's, what does the email campaigns look like? What is our goals? What is, what tools should we be using? Like they can deep dive on that level when it comes to strategy um, and then bring that plan back to the senior leader for, um, you know, poking holes and, and making sure that once they get to the finish line, it's, it's going to achieve the right goals. 
Um, so yeah, that person, I think it's important that they can understand all of the channels that are important to your business, um, understand your customer and really, you know, be able to get a sense of, of what the big business goals are um, and then strategically run with this, the smaller initiatives that are assigned to them. Yeah, this is really cool. I, I, I can see how there's some aha moments and I've heard people when they first hear this concept, they're like, that actually makes sense. And it's an aha. You know, when you're mentioning a senior leader, it's like, well, the, what's the what's the con or what's the challenge there? Well, you can't afford that really amazing person. Well, maybe you can as a fractional person with this generalist or this the full time marketer. Um, what are some of the challenges there? Well, you, you normally there, there's no direction. They don't know what to do. But now we've solved that with a senior leader. And normally there's no mobility. And what you said recently was them putting on their strategic hat every now and then means they're not just stuck in a, a dead-end job. They're learning from a really experienced leader and they're going to be challenged to bring out their own strategy and eventually grow into that kind of a role. And that sounds great to any marketer, I'd say. Absolutely. And it, it makes people so much happier, more fulfilled to have that mentorship and that leadership and feel like they're actually learning. Um, and I find the retention on those roles are so much better when they feel engaged. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, I think like what it really comes down to is a company really looking at their goals and their budget and, and kind of throwing what they already think they know out the window and looking at it more creatively. Like you can have all the right people in the room, regardless of your budget, regardless of your goals and, and creatively assemble this team um, in a way that, you know, leans on everybody's strengths and allows like frees up the time of the CEO and the other senior leaders and, and gets the right people in at the right times so that you're really maximizing your budget and your resources. Yeah. That's super efficient. I love that. Cool. Generalist make it happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it comes down to specialists or agency support. So um, this is actually a big one for the generalist too. Um, a lot of the ones that I work with end up managing like the day-to-day -day pieces for these people. So, um, you know, you have a generalist and generally they're not going to be um, experts at everything. So there might be, there's certain things that I really love to pull in specialists for, like uh, paid social is one because it can basically be a massive money pit if you don't really know what you're doing. Um, so that's something I always pull in a specialist or an agency for um, SEO, uh, website development. Um, there's a bunch of different elements, but um, one of the rules with this generalist is to manage the day-to-day, -to, -day, to brief that person in, and then escalate anything to the senior leader that um, is either strategic and maybe needs like a bit of a um, decision-making filter on it or any issues or anything like that. So you kind of have this like massive full support of this great team, but you don't need everybody all the time. You just, you're kind of pulling in the right players at the right times. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and, and leverage them for their expertise in that, in that area. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of like on an as needed basis, project basis, um, very results driven. So you'd be bringing them in for like a certain project or a certain outcome. Um, and then they're, they're kind of in and out. Man, you have summarized this so well. I, I totally see that happening, right? Oh, I got HubSpot. I need a HubSpot specialist. I got need some web changes, bring in the web specialist, you know, it, you know, yeah. anything that that generalist doesn't have that pinpoint expertise in, or maybe they're, you know, they've learned to do blogs and WordPress or something, but um, you want to do some slick PPC campaigns. Great. Bring in that agency or that specialist. And, oh. and yeah, that that's a cool team right there. 
And it's cool too, because I find there's like learning at all levels of it and kind of up and down the ladder. Um, the generalist, you know, is learning from the people that you're bringing on as that on, on that additional support too. Um, and the more experience they get, the more, you know, they're kind of adding to their toolkit. Amazing. How much does this cost, do you think? Um, I mean, it can really vary. Um, yeah. I, I typically like to work with clients that have marketing budgets of like minimum 300K per year. Um, but that's at my level. I think you can achieve this with varying budgets. Um, I have some lower budgets who, who kind of have me on more of like a coaching package. Sure. Um, and then I, I work with clients all the way up to like 10 million in revenue. So, I mean, it, I really do think this model is possible for you regardless of your budget. Yeah. And, but it's, it's modularized too. So that, that's the, the cool part. So you're, you got a fractional senior leader, you've got a full-time generalist and you've got specialists as needed for campaigns and for different things. Um, I think what's important too, when it comes to budget is that, is that right person at the top will help you figure out like, what are your goals and what are your budget and, and what do you actually do with this budget to meet those goals? And is it even possible? Like maybe you have these crazy, you know, growth goals, but you're in a really competitive space and it's just not going to be possible with that budget. So what can you do that's going to move the needle to kind of get you a little bit closer to where you want to be? Um, and you know, that's going to be a best use of your time and, and, and budget. Got it. Got it. Cool. Cool. The ultimate marketing team. Everyone's got their role. And then, and then you can just use that to expand, you know, use the same methodology to expand, you know, bring on more specialists, bring on additional generalists to handle the specialists. And yeah. yeah, as you get bigger and bigger, you might end up having like, let's say a social media manager. And then within that, there's like millions of pieces and moving parts right. for campaigns, paid social, organic social content creation. Like there's a whole, you know, big scope there. So that might be one generalist. Maybe you have somebody that's more PR focused. Maybe you have someone that's managing partnership campaigns if you do a whole bunch of those. So um, yeah, I think it can definitely ebb and flow um, and grow as your company grows too. That's amazing. Now I want to shift a little bit and and talk about this sort of direct to consumer, the idea of uh, selling to people. I know we're always selling to people, all the all the H to H people, all the human to human people. You got to make keep keep them happy. But but when you're selling to individuals versus selling to companies, you know I do a lot of work on selling to companies. And tell me, what does it take to really sell directly to consumers? What does it take to uh, is is it is there that much difference or, or have you seen there, there's certain things that just really need to happen when you're doing that? Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, I think when it comes down to it, it's no different. And, okay. and I love that term human to human marketing because it, yeah. it really is. Yeah. Um, I think there's definitely some intricacies with direct to consumer marketing that are different than B2B, but um, at its core, I think, understanding your target market like truly truly I think a lot of companies think that they do um but but spending time like talking to them talking to the people that say no to you and understanding why they're saying no um talking to your yeses and understand what what do they love about you um, and your brand and your product and services and what keeps them loyal and what would make things better um so I think it comes down to really understanding them and then speaking their language too. Um, one of some of the work that I really love doing is branding and positioning. Um, and I think when it comes to that, it's like 
So it's so, so important to understand how your customer talks about their pain points and their challenges so that they feel heard and they feel seen when they're seeing your marketing. And I think that's what really creates that brand loyalty that you see from um, some of the big brands out there, Lululemon or um, one in Canada that I love right now is NYX, where um, I think that, you know, if you can really get into the mind of your, of your customer and be speaking to them, um, that just does wonders for loyalty and conversions. Yeah, I, I don't think we talk enough to our customers. You know, I think sometimes mm-hmm. technology enables us to hide in our little marketing caves, you know, and not actually ask them questions. Let's say you're face-to-face with one of your uh, client's customers. Are there particular questions you like to ask them? Um, I mean, I really like to understand sort of what motivates them to purchase or not. I mean, one of my favorite things is talking to the nose, um, understanding why. Um, I mean, yeah, really understanding their motivations, what drives them, um, what, what challenges and pain points they have in their life that we actually can solve. Um, and you, you brought up a great point uh, that I, I'd love to touch on. I, I think, and I'm seeing this shift, which I'm loving. I think marketing traditionally has been very me, me, me. And here's my product and here's my brand. It's, it's kind of, you know, I think stemmed from that traditional advertising um, area. And I think what I'm seeing a shift in now, which I really love, is it's not even about you. It's about your customers and you're talking to them and you're, you're, showing that you truly care and you want to help them and serve them and it's not about the sale and it's not about pushing your product so I think you know brands that I see do a really great job on on their digital channels are the ones that are providing like really engaging content really valuable content so they're not seeing like you know here's my product here it is this is all the things that it does but they're instead like getting into the mind of their consumer and saying okay well we know our target market is really into, I don't know, fitness and eating healthy and outdoor activity. And typically they have a family. So they speak to all of that and they say, I don't know, here's how our, here's, you know, how you can integrate this into your life. And and their content is actually like just something that's enjoyable to consume. And I think that's, you know, a shift that I'm really loving to see right now. Yeah. Yeah. That, that shift is important. Um, the experience is so much better when we, I like how you said, like a lot of people think they know their customers, but you need to truly, truly know. And you had said about what is the pain? And that was an aha for me. You, you hear some of these things, but what a great reminder. What is it that you actually solve for them? Is there something painful? We all, we all have the experience of having some pebble or sand in our shoe and it's annoying us. There's annoying. And then there's downright this morning, coming down the stairs, there was some little rock thing. And my foot was like, ow, you know, and it's like either way, whether it's the annoying thing in your shoe or it's an actual painful ow, is there something that your customers are experiencing like that? And then can you take the thing out of their shoe for them or can you help them? If so, share that with them, not just look how great my thing is. Like, who cares what your thing is? Can you help me with this rock? You know? Exactly. Yeah, it's like it's really making them feel understood and heard at the end of the day. Um, and I think that's when they connect with the brand and they, you know, they feel almost like they sought out the product or solution themselves. Understood and heard at the end of the day. Understood and heard. How much of it do you think? I'm just random question that sort of came up. How much of it do you think is 
feeling understood and heard? And how much is it solving the problem? Um, I think the feeling understood and heard is sort of the, the first step. Um, I think it's super important to feel that um, what you, what they're buying or, you know, going to be engaging with will solve their problem. So it's, but it's still from that same perspective. So, you know, the brand understands that my, you know, this is my challenge. This is my problem. This is what it feels like to me. This is what it's costing me every day. Um, But I, you know, I think consumers want to feel confident that the purchase, the product or service they're purchasing will alleviate all those pain points. So um, the problem solving piece is super important. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if, if it ties in, cause you know, we talk about your human to human where it's like a relationship we're creating with this person. And it just reminds me of there's different, you know, jokes out there, but the idea of, you know, good relationships come from hearing people and having them feel heard and under understood and acknowledged and acknowledging what it's like to be them without trying to solve their pain. Right. Yeah. But then at some point it's like, okay, no, I definitely heard you. You feel acknowledged, you feel affirmed. And now it's like, and with that knowledge, we use that same knowledge to then go make the solution. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It's like building a relationship and, and brands that, um, you know, are really sticky and brands that stay around a long time, look at marketing through that lens, which I think is really important. Um, and something else you said that kind of, you know, reminded me of something is I think brands that do a great job in this direct-to-consumer space are ones that really lean on social proof uh, for marketing. So instead of, you know, me standing up there and telling you all about me and all the things I do, we'll go talk to someone who's worked with me, go talk to them and hear the results I've gotten for them. So I think that is um, such a strong pillar that I see in successful brands too. Got it. All right. Social proof. Um, so huge, right? Because it's just, it's letting them know that someone else thought this was great too. I mean, that, that also is how scams tend to work and how pyramid <laughs> schemes work. But at the same time, that also is how you can, for in a good way, have a good product be out there with more and more people. Because when we see that so-and-so is using it and they're not freaking out, then we use it too. I was just shopping earlier today on Amazon for something that looked cool, but I was like, does this actually work? And then it was looking at the different reviews and saying, it does this work, you know, and am I, is it just a really cool package or is this really going to help solve that pain? And if people are like, yep, had the same pain and it solved it, you're like, okay, cool. I feel like good because sometimes the idea of the buyer's remorse, I just hate that. I want to avoid that, like the plague. Totally. Yeah. And I think now with the internet at our fingertips and everyone, you know, having so much selection and choice available to them, that's so key. Um, Just, you know, being able to hear and talk to different customers that have have worked with you and get the sense that like, you know, this did solve their problem. And so I think this will probably work for me too. Yeah. hundred percent. So good. So good to really circle back to what's important. Um, Question for you around, uh, a pretty popular marketing channel, the idea of events. Do you, I know we got the different versions of COVID and all this craziness going on, but do you see events and they went virtual for a while? Are they coming back to in person? Are they virtual? What are you seeing out there? Oh, um, I'm seeing such a mix. Um, it's funny. I think there's, there's, 
you know, a segment of people who are antsy to get back to in-person events. And then there's a segment of people who are perfectly happy, you know, attending a gala online from home in their pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're definitely seeing a little bit of both, but I think one trend that I'm actually super excited about, and we'll see how this affects the event space is um, like metaverse and AI augmented reality and things like that. So um, like I, I was just talking to uh, a friend of mine who attended a concert in the metaverse the other day, like how cool is that? So that is cool. um, it'll be interesting to see how things shift with, with that going forward. Like with like Facebook's um, Oculus? Yeah, kind I, of I mean, Facebook's one, um, oh, but okay. there's, there's a lot of other, you know, metaverse worlds that are being created right now. And it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, when social media started and I think everybody, I mean, I was like, what is, what is Facebook? Like, what, what am I doing on here? What, and you're kind of fumbling around trying to figure it out and what's Instagram and you're, you know, you mm-hmm. at first something feels like confusing and what is this? And it's, and you know, fast forward and it's such a part of our daily lives and it's, you know, you, you go on without even thinking or scrolling and you, you do so much on there, interact with friends, interact with friends and family, um, conduct business. So I think that we're just kind of hitting that starting phase with metaverse worlds and we'll see like which ones um, kind of end up winning the race or, or becoming um, something that we have integrated into our, our daily lives. It's kind of exciting and scary to think about. Um, do you have one of those VR headsets? I don't know. I've tried them out before. They're really fun. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of a late adopter. Like I always get like the iPhone four generations beyond because I want everyone else to test it for me and then all the bugs are out and then I'll get it. Um, and you know, and if the phone still works, why upgrade? Right. So, uh, so I'm kind of behind the times a little bit, but I've always kind of wanted a VR thing. And of course, Christmas this year, my parents were like, here's a VR head. Here's an Oculus thing, you know? And, um, had I, I experienced it once one time at a gym where you can like pedal a bike and yeah. you could be in a VR world. So I had just a tiny little experience with it, but now that you have your own, it's really interesting. Um, and then just yesterday, last night I joined um, a brother-in-law and cousin in this virtual world. And we all shot arrows at orcs attacking on the beach together. And we were like, Hey, hanging out, just a bunch of dudes hanging out after work, you know, shooting dragons out of the sky. Um, and you can chit chat as well as you're like, you know, shooting these things. And, it was pretty cool. It was yeah. pretty cool to be able to, you know, play a game with someone on the other side of the world. But to, but you very much felt like you were there. So it was different yeah. from like, oh, yeah, we all just logged in and played Words with Friends, where you know you're just talking to your phone. In this case, it all kind of felt like we're, whatever this world was, that we this beach that we were in, um, it really was getting attacked by orcs. And we were, were really there. And you're standing at these little towers. And we always joked about how you, you didn't want to walk off your tower. Like it felt like you would fall off the tower if you went too far. It's yeah. just your floor. It's your rug. But it felt like if you went over there, you would. So I hear you on it being just a, an, it's it's kind of a thing. And and if now Casey has one and I'm always late to the party, then, you know, this sort of, sort of getting a bit of a groundswell. And I don't know if I want it to happen or not, but I feel like it's coming anyways. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. Hesitant, but, you know, you never know what, it, what doors it will open. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of fun things you'll have. I will say though, one, uh, the other day I was playing a different kind of game and I literally felt sick afterward. And it wasn't until maybe 10, 20 minutes later, I thought, 
you know, cause I, I thought it was like, I'm like, am I dying? Like, why do I feel so weird? You know, I'm like, what is that feeling? And it realized I was actually motion sick oh, uh, wow. from it. Um, and I was like, Oh, that's what that is. Like yeah. I haven't been on a high seas boat in a while. Like, Oh, okay. That's what that is. <laughs> but that just, I guess, tells you how realistic your body thinks it is. If you're like, Whoa, I'm getting all crazy around this, but it's definitely a new world to explore. You should, you should look into getting one. I know. Yeah. It's on my list. Definitely. I'm, I'm so curious too, just to see how it'll impact marketing. And, and I think we'll see in the next year or two, some really, really interesting brand activations um, in that space, which will be fun to watch. Yeah. You know what I'm dying for in the consumer world is advertisements. I actually want to see. Oh, like I, I was yeah. watching national geographic on Apple TV last night with family and they're showing us ads for whatever medicine that no one in my household is ever really going to get in this <laughs> stage of our lives. Right. None. It does applies to no one yeah. at all. And, yeah. and there's another thing that applied to no one at all. I get it. Generally speaking, those people are watching that geo, but Hey, like it would have been so much more fun if an ad came on for, you know, something my wife likes. And then, you know, something Roblox came on, Ro- Roblox came on for the kids. And then yeah. I saw some like new marketing software. I'd be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. It's back, back to our show now. I love that stuff. I like, I have always loved this ever since it, you know, popped up. It was personalization and, and data. Behind yeah. I know some people think it's creepy when you're, you know, talking about something and suddenly your phone shows that to you. Um, and I think that unfortunately we're going to see a big shift with all of the data changes that have happened um, around privacy in the last year or so. Um, but I love it. And, and so I'm hopeful that we will get to a place where we're seeing, we're still seeing personalization, we're still leveraging data, um, but we're doing it in a way that feels really valuable and useful to people, um, not like it's an invasion of privacy. Because I know there's, you know, two sides of the coin um, and a lot of people really want that protection and the, the privacy piece, but I think it can be, you know, valuable and really useful too. Yeah, I mean, it's two, two sides of the coin, I guess. Um, the flip side is I literally pay for YouTube so I don't have to watch their terrible ads. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, it, yeah, and there were so many ads on this Nat Geo thing. Like, come on, Geographic, like do some other model. This was terrible. Uh, but there were so many terrible ads. I was thinking if at least the ad were like relevant to me, I could, it won't, wouldn't be such a long time in between you know, like maybe that's the time to go get snacks then. I don't know. But like, I wish that they were relevant and you're right. The privacy people think, Oh, they're spying on me. Yeah. Would you rather keep seeing ads for medication that you're not even like in the, it's nothing to do with you or, you know, or would you like to see some ads of something maybe you like, I think Instagram does this well for some reason they have this figured out. Um, I have literally found myself buying something on Instagram, I think two, two things in one day. And I almost went to buy a third thing. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What am I doing? They have my number, you know, they have me figured out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I feel like that's like the goal of great marketing is it shouldn't feel like marketing. It shouldn't feel intrusive. It shouldn't feel like you're getting, you know, pulled out of your day or your experience or slapped in the face with something, it should feel really um, integrated and intuitive with what you're doing. So, you know, it should be naturally something you're interested in. It should feel really engaging and, and pull you in where you're like, wow, I, I was looking for this or I didn't know I needed this. I didn't know this existed and it actually solves a pain point that I have. Um, and so I'm hoping to see more and more of that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. What about books? What about reading, learning, education? Are there any, any things you've been reading lately? Any books you recommend? 
Oh, I'm listening. I do a lot of eBooks. Um, I've got nice. two little kids and um, just busy, busy. So I find anytime I'm like working out or driving to daycare or home or whatnot, I throw on an eBook. Um, right now I'm listening to Everything is Figure Outable by Marie Forleo. And I love it. Um, so, so great. Lots of little good little nuggets in there. Um, and then one before that, which I just absolutely loved was you are a badass at making money, which I highly recommend as well. I think we have that one. That seems like a really cool book. Yeah, it's great. I listened to that one on audio as well. Um, and Jen Sincero is just great. So I've been also, um, listening to basically every podcast I can find with her on it too. Is she an ultimate badass? Do you think? I think so. Yeah. She's pretty sweet. She's got a good story. She kind of. Um, I, I would say sort of made herself like late in life and has just, just built a really successful empire. Um, and she's, yeah, she's just got some really interesting learnings and, um, perspectives. Yeah. Good stuff. I'm adding those to the list. My next question for you is who are you? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we know each other, but I'd love to know, like, when you were growing up, what was it like? And did you know you're going to go into marketing, be a marketing leader and yeah. CMO? Um, okay. Well, I grew up in Victoria, BC in Canada. Um, I lived there until I was graduated from high school went to Australia for a little bit for some traveling. Um, and then I lived in Vancouver um, on the coast and started my career there after university. So I, I was sort of attracted to Vancouver because it had a really strong st- uh, tech startup space, which I was interested in. And then it also had a lot of really cool um, larger retail brands and head offices. So yeah. um, coming out of you know marketing, I, I, it was just a place I really wanted to be. Um, did I know when I was younger, I wanted to go into marketing? I actually didn't. Um, I think when I was really little, I used to say I I wanted to be a teacher. Um, but I think as I grew up, I, I just, I was really always creative. I was always into problem solving. Um, looking back, I think I was actually quite entrepreneurial. Um, so all of those pieces kind of evolved and folded into marketing for me. Um, and when I moved to Vancouver, I ended up starting up in the tech startup space, which was a a really cool place to kind of launch my career. Um, a great place to just learn everything. Um, I had an incredible manager who allowed us really to just create our own rules and, um, he encouraged us to just get involved in whatever we wanted to learn. So I would just ask to do things all the time. Like, Hey, can I come to that investor meeting? Hey, can I do that client pitch with you? Like, I would constantly push myself out of my comfort zone to try and learn new things and um, just, you know, build my tool belt in that sense. Um, So I left there after a few years and shifted over to tourism. Uh, I really wanted to try um, something, you know, a little bit in that space. The the thought of travel, travel has always been a big passion of mine. So I worked with a global hotel chain for a while there. Um, Then shifted over to agency side. I, I wanted to try out that, that side of things and be able to work with a whole bunch of different clients at one time. Um, I was attracted to the fast paced uh, element of it and the problem solving uh, piece, which is probably what's led me to what I do now. Um, and then I had actually had a, a pretty long-term goal to work for Lululemon. Uh, so I ended up working for them. You did? The agency. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of did, just didn't give up. I probably applied there about 50 times before I, I got in. But They're like, who I is this? She keeps applying here. 
Yeah. I'm in. So yeah, I worked there, um, did various roles there, uh, ended up managing all of their highest revenue marketing, uh, global marketing campaigns, um, launching influencer marketing for their girls brand, um, and a whole bunch of fun stuff and just met some really incredible, amazing people while I was there. Um, and then now I am a marketing consultant and fractional CMO. Amazing. It's crazy. You know, you put your mind to something and you say, Hey, I want, I want to work at this place, you know, is as crazy as it might sound to other people, you just keep at it and you just, you kept after it. And that's, man, that's powerful. And the tourism and the travel, it's cool that you went to Australia when you had a chance, you know, you start yeah. growing a family, things gets hard to move around too much. And, but um, yeah. where in Australia were you? Um, I was in Cairns for about six months and then the rest of my six months, I was sort of traveling up and down the coast. Wow. Yeah. How, so- how big is that coast? Like, is that like the U S or. I don't know if I have a frame of reference. (laughs) Like it's, it's big. Like it was, it was days driving, you know, um, in between places. And, um, but yeah, I I don't know. I wouldn't, I don't know how big it is. You know, I just, I just Google, I looked up the overlay. Australia is almost about the size of the U S so yeah. So going up and down that thing, is like going up and down the Eastern side of the U S that's more actually. So, wow. Uh, in North America, actually. So not just US and US and Canada. So wow, you're just adventuring up and down. And it was really fun. Um, We I didn't really plan it. I initially went for a few months and ended up staying for a year. Um, And it was great. It was just a I it was kind of a break in between my first and second years of university. Um, And just I think what I needed to kind of figure out what direction I wanted to go in. I think more people should do that. I, th- I feel like I should have done that <laughs> rather yeah. than taking the break while you're at school. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're you're at school and you're trying to focus, but you're like want to go experience the world. Do something. I know my yeah. my parents and my grandparents were were worried I would not go back, um, but I knew I would. I I knew I had you know plans for myself that required school. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, hypothetical question for you. Um, I may or may not have a time machine here in New Hampshire. So, you know, COVID's all settled down. You come on over the family, come visit. We have some lobster or whatever, and you get to use this time machine and it goes back. It's a particular kind of time machine and you get to meet yourself a few days after university is all done. So you get to meet that version of you and no worries. You won't mess up the space time continuum, you know, like nothing's going to happen. Your family won't disappear, but you get to talk to yourself um, you can tell yourself anything you want. What kind of things would you tell yourself? Uh, I love all the Marvel references. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I would tell myself to trust the process and the journey. Um, I think I caused myself a lot of pain and, and anxiety and stress um, in my younger years of my career, especially, um, you know, and, you know, anytime there was something bad, like I've been laid off from jobs before, I, I think it was always hard at the time to understand that this was just part of what was meant to be and, you know, bigger things were unfolding for me. Um, but I, I can really see that now. And I always try to hold on to that now when there's something kind of unexpected or things take a turn that I, you know, hadn't planned for. Well, that part of what was meant to be and there were bigger things that were on the way yeah. you just don't know about them at the time and you know yeah like there's so much I learned along the way and so many people I met that like 
had I not met them or had I not done that, had that experience not happened to me, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I love my life and I feel really grateful for everything I have. So, um, yeah, I think just trusting the process and trusting the journey and, and enjoying it along the way. I think that's a, a big piece of it too. Just enjoying where I'm at. Enjoying it along the way. Yeah. And I suppose I was going to, I want to ask you, like, when you say trust the process, what is the process? Maybe that, like, what, it, what is it? What is this sort of, to you, what is the process yeah. you need um, to trust? I think that concept has actually really shifted for me in the last year. Um, I've been doing a lot of like mindset work and, and growth nice. uh, pieces, learning. And I think for me, the process now is getting clear on what my values are and what my goals are um, in all areas of my life and setting those goals and just kind of putting it out there. And it, it's funny, I had um, a manager at Lululemon actually, I wonder if she'll remember this, but uh, she always told me, she's like, you know, Jess, you just got to loosen the reins a little bit, like let go, like just, just you have these big goals and you're just hanging on so tight. And I think for me, that has been something that didn't click for me until years later, probably until a year ago. Um, and it just allowing things to happen and unfold naturally has, has brought so much more ease into my life and um, allowed opportunities to come into my life that I, you know, might've missed in the past because I was so, you know, had my blinders on, on in terms of like, this is the way it's supposed to go. And this is how it's going to happen. And these are the steps they need to take. And there was just so much control and uh, rigid, you know, rigidness to that process. Um, and now it's sort of a little bit more fluid and I can kind of see that end game. And I might not know, you know, every step to take to get there, but it's like putting one foot in front of each other or, or in front of the other. Um, and just trusting that the, the next step will be there as you, as you go. Yeah. Each step will, will still be there as you go, man. That is powerful stuff. Um, incredible. Incredible. Do you have any free time these days? You're not crushing <laughs> no. your marketing game or are you just head down right now? Um, a little tiny bit. Um, I have two little kids. I, I have two daughters. One's two and a half and one's 10 months. So we are in it. We're in the busy phase. You are in that phase. So you no, know, the, I guess my answer to that question is no. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not a lot, but we have, we have family close by and they're oh, so good. Great and, you know, they'll come babysit for us when we want to. Um, we moved to Kelowna about a year ago. So I, for anyone who doesn't know, it's kind of like the wine country of Canada. Um, so we try to get out and go to wineries and um, had a lot of friends visit over the summer and just explore the area. It's so, so beautiful. Um, traveling, I love to do, but obviously that's been a little bit off the table the last couple of years. Um, so we've just been trying to explore this area and, and kind of get a sense of our new space. Um, health and wellness is a big, a big priority for me. So I always try to fit in something, some sort of a, you know, sweat activity every day um ebooks or audiobooks I love to do and then lots of personal development work so whether that's like courses that I'm fitting in or journaling or working with a coach or something like that so I, I do actually manage to fit in quite a bit with um the phase of life that we're in right now I don't know how you do it uh <laughs> usually that phase is a blur um, yeah. I went through that a couple years ago and I don't quite remember it and you're yeah. like oh babies are so cute it's because you mentally just don't remember when they were super needy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, well, and the, Hey, you know, 
I can't blame you if you're in wine country and you have parents nearby, you have like babysitters nearby and it's wine country, get out there. Yeah. Go and do that. Question for you. Um, you know, let's say, you know, virus aside and kids get a little older, um, or you, you have those babysitters. Is there a country you haven't been to that you'd love to visit? Oh, so many. Um, right before the pandemic hit in April of 2022, we had a trip planned to go to Spain and Portugal um, with our whole family. So I'd love to reschedule that. Um, and there, like, I haven't really been to very, very many places in Europe and there's a million on my list, France, and there's, I can just go and basically eat my way through Europe. So I want to do that. Uh, but realistically, I actually have a few really close friends getting married, um, in Ireland and then in Costa Rica, um, in the next year and a half. So if all things cooperate, those will probably be our next trips. I'm a huge fan of Ireland and I have not been to Costa Rica. So yeah, that sounds great. Any excuse to uh, get out there and celebrate with friends and explore a new country. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, this is crazy. Um, tell me if people want to connect with you professionally or maybe they actually, they learned something earlier and they're like, oh, we're missing one of the pieces here or we're missing that senior leader. And maybe that's you for them. Where do you want people to connect with you? What kind of social channels? What kind of websites, emails, all that? Yeah, kind of um, Instagram at marketing.by.jess or my website, Jessica Shira, S-H-I-R-R-A or my LinkedIn as well. You can just search my name. Awesome. Uh, and so of course you would have Instagram. Is that is that the language of direct-to-consumer? I mean, I love it. I think it's my favorite channel. And I think um, all of the brands that I love that do a great job on marketing are on Instagram. So um, I think it's just a, a great place to be. Absolutely. And on that, you're marketing by Jess? Marketing.by.jess. Okay. The dots are important. Yep. Totally got that. Cool. Well, this is great. And we'll put all this in the show notes so people, if you're listening, you can just click right through and connect with Jess. Jess, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on here. We finally got it to happen. I've learned a lot. You've really helped clarify, just simplify also the picture of that key team. So thank you so much for being on here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we were able to finally do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Finally got it done. And for those people listening, um, if you've learned something and I freaking know you have, because I have two pages of notes over here, front and back, right? So if you learned something like I did, then share this episode with one other person. That's thought leadership right there. Share it with one person and or 200 and 964, either way. Um, get this information to someone else's hand so they can benefit from this. And if you know someone who has a marketing team that is incomplete and they need Jess, definitely hit her up. Um, and with that, Jess, thanks again for being on here. Thank you. All right, everybody. This has been another freaking cool episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.